You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Can I take a moment and just talk to you about our theme real quick before we go to God's Word? This is a very sobering theme in a way uh, to me because it is obviously it's, it's something that we hear about a lot. We, we do it in church some. We, we pray before our meals. It's, it's a part of our lives. Obviously, prayer is a big part of the Christian life. It might even be in the big three, right? And you read your Bible and pray and go to church. I mean, those kind of things are, we're familiar with that. We talk about that. It's sort of something we can easily just sort of, you know, shelve a little bit and say, hey, that's, yeah, yeah, of course I do that, you know. But, but that's not what we're talking about. Last week, or yeah, last week I, I, I passed out a, a piece of paper and encouraged our church to write out 10 goals. If you were here, you remember that piece of paper. Maybe you did it. And if you did, I, I, I appreciate it. I commend you for that. We uh, challenged the church to write out some physical, maybe some physical goals for the new year, some spiritual goals, some financial goals. Well, I, my wife left hers on the kitchen table this morning, so I got it. And I thought it was good, though. She had, I think it was number nine on the list, but it was one of her spiritual goals, and it just simply said um, that I want to learn how to really pray. And I thought, that's it. That's it. You know, we want to learn to pray, but I think sometimes that word really pray is, is probably what we're, we're talking about over the next few weeks and months and even year. You know, prayer is, is more than just a, a, a few words in repetition or, or, or and it, it could be that. I'm not saying it's not that. But, but, but how do we pray? And do we pray or, or could I say really pray? Learning how to pray is something we're going to do together this year. Can I confess to you that I, everything I say this morning, I'm saying to myself because I am no expert on the subject. No question about that. We also have a desire to, uh, t- to learn how as a church family to pray more in community. This morning was a wonderful time, wasn't it? We got to pray a corporate prayer together. And uh, we've already prayed a couple of times in the service. But how does that look going from here? Could it be that God has a plan for gospel light to at times pray more than we sing or even preach in a service? Could that happen? Is that... Is that against tradition? Is there some, would, that, would that be strange? All, all I'm saying is we're going to learn that together. How, how could we pray more together in church? We have also a desire to, to teach about how to have a meaningful, quiet time with God. How does that look? And how do we get away from our phones and social media and just the noise and busyness of life and carve out some time to spend time in private prayer and Bible reading with the Lord every day. For some, that comes natural and easy, and a lot of times it gets easier as you get older. So, you know, you have more time, less kids, all that. But how, how does that look for all of us? Probably a little different. We have a desire that we have praying homes. Someone said you cannot have a praying church without praying homes. And you will never have a prayerless church with praying homes. That's a good statement, isn't it? And so we need to learn how to pray more in our own homes. We want to provide you with prayer resources this year where you can have access to resources that will help you to pray. We also have a desire to, um, 
to learn how to pray out of the Bible. How can we actually pray Scripture? You know, the book of Psalms is, is truly a book of songs, and, and it's, it's a, an interesting book that God has given us in Scripture uh, that, that oftentimes is a prayer itself. So these are things we're going to learn together. It, it, it really is going to be exciting, but yet it's somewhat, I don't know, I guess I should say a little sobering, a little, a little intimidating. That's the word I'm looking for, for me even. Because I know how often prayer is preached and talked about, but how little it is done. And my fear is that we would talk about it and not actually be able to do it together. So I say that not as a fear of, uh, in a sense of, in a wrong way, but in a way of just, I want to be in awe of this. I want to stand in fear of not missing it, if that makes sense. I want this to be a huge part of our church this year, and, and we all do. Our elders do. We've talked about it for three months. And so here we are together introducing this particular series. And so let me begin by introducing the series, and it is praying for revival. We, we, we desperately would love to see, as we sang a moment ago, for God to, to break into the darkness of our city and, and, and shatter it with his marvelous light. We believe, as we sang earlier, that God can do it again. Yes, he can. Amen? God can send revival. We believe that. And we have had uh, a taste of that in 29 years of being here at Gospel Light. There have been some really incredible services. There have been some unbelievable seasons in our church of growth, of excitement, even of prayer. We may mention that as we uh, walk through this message. But we're going to be talking about the, the, the power of prayer that leads to revival. And Isaiah 64, 1 speaks of rending the heavens and the Spirit of God coming down. And we, we even, there were some things we sang about this morning that, that, that spoke to that. We're also going to do something different in the series. Now, I've never done this before in 29 years like this. But I'm, I've asked, some of it is for me. I, I need I need prayer. This morning I I gave an invitation and I responded to my own invitation because I I desperately, I'm just, I want to be ready for what God wants. And so I was, uh, I asked Jeremy to pray over me this morning because I, I, and I may do it again this, I don't, you know, I may ask somebody to pray over me this this morning in this service too. I'm just very sensitive right now to to wanting to, to be, to learn myself. Um. And so I've asked Scott Mercer to preach next week. I've asked Jeremy Horton to preach the following week. I've asked my son Mo to preach the next week. And then I'll finish the series the final week of January. And not doing that because I don't want to preach or because I'm looking for a break. I, honestly, I just came off of a nice little break. And I'm just like you did. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to work hard the next five weeks. But I really believe that God is speaking to, to these men and, and to others. And, and, I, and, and maybe speaking to you to speak to me and share with me some things he's doing. And I want to be open to that. And so I'll be closing the series in the last Sunday of January, but we'll be, we'll be hearing from some different men who have a heart for this subject of revival in our church and amongst our youth and our college and our church family and our small groups. So I'm so excited. So I want to begin this morning with this thought of praying for revival. And thank you for listening for just a moment to my heart. You know, the word uh, revival has become somewhat of a worn out word, at least in my own life. It seems as if revival is something that when we 
talk about it. It's just somewhat of a cliche. It's a word that has been sometimes reserved for a series of meetings at a church. That's the way it was for, for me. For, for a long time, it was, we're having revival services. And, and for whatever reason, Monday and Tuesday seem to be somewhat of a, a popular two nights to set aside to have a special speaker to come in. And you would actually budget for this in the beginning of the year. You'd say, okay, we're going to have a couple of different revival meetings. And that's what we called them. And it was almost as if, you know, you know not Sunday, not Wednesday, but Monday and Tuesday, we're having a revival meeting, you know. And, and I believe we we meant well, and, and this was somewhat traditional in the way that it just always was. And so we referred to these series of meetings as revival meetings. But I'm not sure they really were real revival. And what bothers me just a little bit is that we would have children, or I can say now grandchildren, who would live and die and never be in a true, genuine, Holy Ghost revival. I'm speaking of genuine revival. Let's call it real revival. What is real revival? It's a time of repentance. Real revival is a time of restoration and renewal, and it's a release. It's a time where God works in ways that are unexplainable, yet they're undeniable. That's what we're praying for in 2022. And can I say this from the outset? I'm encouraged. I really am encouraged that God's timing in all of this is is very unique and special. That that God is beginning to prepare our church for for something unexplainable. uh, For something special and unique. Not not just a a song, but, but, but real revival in our church. I believe America is ripe for either revival or for for judgment. But I believe that God is not through yet with our country, with, with with churches, with our city, with our state. I believe that God can send revival, that it's not too late for revival. But we may have to ask ourselves some questions. And you know, do do we do we shed more tears over television or movies than we, than we do over lost souls. I have to ask myself as a sports fan, as a, I mean, hey, listen, I, I, I'm sure there were people more excited than I was, but I was super excited that Arkansas finally won a pretty good bowl game yesterday. Can I get an amen? All right. And that's okay. I get it. It's part of our culture. It's part of our state. It was really cool. If you love Arkansas, you kind of love the Razorbacks. But I'm having asked myself this question did I get more excited or do I get more excited about sports than I do about church, than I do about souls and, and revival? I, I, I say that to me. If it helped you, if it, if it convicts you, that's, that's great. You're, you're being convicted with me. Because I'm looking at some of the things that, that I love and I'm having to ask myself these questions as I prepare myself for this move of God. Because it's not too late for revival. Even God himself says in Acts chapter 2 verse number 17. He said in the last days it shall be God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And the Lord Jesus Christ who gave us this marching order that we call the Great Commission said in Matthew 28, Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and in earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. I want you to teach them to observe everything I've commanded you. 
And behold, I'm with you always. Now think about this when we talk about revival and can it happen again. Jesus said, I'm with you to the end of the age. The Lord's power has never diminished, ever. God is just as able today as he's ever been able to pour out his spirit on all flesh. It is not too late for revival. Some have said, well, pastor, you know, I just believe there's never been more sin like there is today in, in, in our world. It just, it seems to be worse than it's ever been. And I, I, I think I disagree with that. Adam was totally depraved and you can't get any more totally depraved than that. I mean, God's always had just sinners to work with. God's never had good people to work with. But where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. Amen. And so because of God's grace, I believe that the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ still has power to rescue the perishing, to care for the dying, to snatch them in pity from sin in the grave. If we'll weep or the erring one and lift up the fallen and tell them of Jesus who is still mighty to save. You know, I, I believe God can revive his church. I, I love and have always enjoyed and loved reading and hearing and studying about the history of revivals. And I've got a little history of that myself. It started back when I went to Bible college initially. There was a man that was passionate about revival. His name was Ed Reese. He was one of our professors. And I took some of his classes. And even as I was pastor of this church, there may be a handful of you that remember he visited once and he had a book that he wrote on biographies of great men and, and, and uh, great Christians. And it was a, it's an interesting book that I've read and have it in my library. And Ed was passionate about revival and was prayed for revival and always trying to get pastors and churches to drop their denominational walls and get together and have revival. Ed didn't have the influence that some had, but he had the passion that some had. And I learned from Ed. And that's where I begin to be intrigued by this idea of could God do it again? Could God send revival like we've seen and heard of in, in days gone by? And then I took a class with Liberty University when I was getting my master's in counseling from a man by the name of Elmer Towns. And Elmer Towns had a class on the history of revival in the world. And it was so challenging, so good. Ed, I think he still teaches at Liberty. He's in his 90s, I believe now. They recently honored him for, you know, over 50 years of service and in, that in, uh, in, in churches and, and institutions, and he's a great, great teacher. And I gleaned so much from that class. I still have my notes from that class. More recently, I've been influenced by a man by the name of Bill Elliff. Bill is a pastor in the state of Arkansas, and when he was here for our missions revival, Bill actually sat down with our staff for two hours and did nothing but teach about the history of revival and could God do it again. A few years ago, I, got, I met a man by the name of Jim Maxim, and God let me uh, become friends with Jim, and he preached at one of our champion uh, commencement services here, and, and he began to visit Hot Springs, and we had actually, it was really cool this morning in our first service, we had one of the leaders of the convention center that came for the first time. He's a good friend of mine. I've been inviting him for years, and he shows up this morning, him and his wife, Craig. And I said, I acknowledged, I said, Craig, do you remember? And he began to nod quickly as soon as I said Jim Maxim, because Jim sat in Craig's office five, six months in a row and signed a contract with Craig to rent out the entire convention center a few years ago. 
And we invited churches from all over our city to come to the convention center for what was called a prayer gathering. Some of you went. And we had upwards towards over a thousand people that would come together and preachers that would pray and Christians that would pray. And it was a, a very unique time in our city. It was, a, I think, somewhat of a taste of revival, maybe a foretaste of what God is still planning to do in our city as we, as we pray and fast for that. But it was very interesting. And Jim became a friend of mine, a businessman, someone who just owned a business and, and recently sold his business and still does some things, but, uh, but, but was just a businessman. And he introduced to me, and I wanted to do it because it is so exciting. I, I want my, my my purpose in this introduction is to see if I can get you just a little excited about what God could do because God's done so much already, and he could do it again. Take a look at this two-minute video that just talks about a businessman like Jim, just not a preacher, not a pastor, just a businessman, and how God used him to send revival to New York City, to our nation, and even eventually to the world. Take a look real quick. The United States, 1857. Slavery, rebellion, rumors of war. In three years, Americans would turn on each other and make history. But in 1857 New York City, history, the kind textbooks don't mention, was already happening. The date was September 23rd. A Christian layman named Jeremiah Lamphere held his first ever business <coughs> prayer meeting in Lower Manhattan. It was not, by all accounts, a rousing success. He'd passed out flyers for weeks. Six men attended. Two weeks later, the stock market crashed. Thousands of families lost all they had. And one of the greatest spiritual awakenings the world has ever seen began. Week by week, Jeremiah Lamphere's tiny lunch hour prayer meeting grew larger and larger. By December, his six men had become 10,000 men. And they met not every week, but every day. The New York newspapers took notice, and when word spread to other cities, spontaneous revival broke out across the country. In Cleveland and St. Louis, thousands of people packed downtown churches and theaters three times each day just to pray. In Chicago, churches had to have waiting lists for people wanting to teach Sunday school. And all across America, pastors were baptizing 20,000 new believers every week. The revival eventually spread around the world. In England, entire towns were converted. Some towns disbanded their police force because of a lack of crime. And so many people came to Christ, churches had to hold services outside just to accommodate the crowds. The world had seen nothing like it, before or since. Global revival. God started it with one man. It changed the course of history. And now, in today's world, People need to know, can history repeat itself? Can it happen again? And to me, that's, that, that's not a sad video. That is an exciting video. And that's not a challenge. Can it happen again? We sang a moment ago, come awaken your people, come awaken this city. If, if you want, if you sing and pray, wake something up, it means it's sleeping. Could, could God awaken his people? Could God awaken his city from its slumber, its sleep, its carelessness, its, its laziness? Could God awaken us to revival? He is the God of revival. And this is so encouraging to me. I, I read about 
Revivals in the Old Testament. Revivals in the New Testament. Revivals even in church history. For example, in 1 Kings chapter 18, we read about somewhat of an incredible event with uh, uh, Elijah, the prophet, and the, the one prophet of God, right? And the 450 prophets of Baal. And God called Elijah out to be that man who would stand for him. And uh, what, if fire, the fire fall from heaven and consume the sacrifice, would God then send revival? Could God then send a, a mighty move upon the land? And he did. And Elijah stood and Elijah uh, took that challenge and the fire of the Lord fell and God sent a mighty revival and a great turning to the Lord happened as a result of that. We read about Nineveh. God said he was going to destroy Nineveh. And yet, when Jonah preached, and he preached faithfully the word of God, they repented. The entire city trusted God. And it wasn't so much because the people were bad, or the city was bad, or the nation was bad. It was really more on the fact that Jonah just needed to get with it and get right with God. And when Jonah preached, the people responded. Judgment truly does begin in the house of God. In the New Testament, we read about the day of Pentecost. And really what Pentecost is, is it's a revival. It was a mighty, wonderful revival where thousands came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it began in a city called Jerusalem. And, and after that, the church grew exponentially. The church grew explosively. And then the church grew cold. And we came upon a season called, a period of time called the Dark Ages. But in the 16th century... A Roman Catholic priest, a monk named Martin Luther, began to study the Word of God. Really study the Word of God, especially the book of Romans. And he began to burn in his heart and he began to see that salvation was by grace through faith. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And he began to preach that. And what we know as the Protestant Reformation was really a mighty revival where thousands came to faith in Jesus Christ. And we're still the recipients of, uh, of some of the afterglow of that revival that happened hundreds of years ago. And then George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards and the Great Awakening. And even in England, as that entire country, even its churches and its clergy involved in drunkenness and gambling. And man, some stories you wouldn't believe. It seems as if even the kids in our Sunday school or our, our, our kids' light ministry would have known more about the Bible than the clergy of England did in that day. And God raised up John Wesley, who we would know as the founder of the Methodist Church, the Methodist movement. And God called that man to send revival to England. In Wales in 1904, really powerful revival came to that country like an unexpected tornado. In fact, when you begin to read stories of that revival, things like prisons closing because there was nobody in jail. Nobody to go to prison. Saloons closing, thousands sweeping into churches. And we read about an incredible revival in that country of Wales that affected and really honestly swept across the entire country. In England, in America, D.O. Moody, a name that is more familiar to some of us. We've heard that name and Mr. Moody, an uneducated man, never went to seminary, but yet took England by one hand and, and America by the other and shook those continents with the gospel of Christ. A shoe clerk, just an average Joe, but God called him. In fact, I read of a, an account where there were 5,000 atheists that gathered in a hall where Moody preached. And the story unfolds with a lot of incredible drama and 
preaching and it was incredible. But at the end of it, 500 atheists walked that hall aisle and received Jesus Christ as their Savior. When God works in revival, more can happen in five months than could happen in five years. We read a moment ago on the screen that if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and pray. And this is the year of prayer, but not just pray, pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then and only then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. And so what I'd like to do is draw your attention to the book of Daniel and to a very specific prayer of confession that Daniel had as we enter this year of prayer And by the way, prayer is our greatest resource, church. It is. I mean, sometimes I think we, and I, I, well, let me say not we, I think, I think I have thought as a, if we could just have remodel the church building, if we can just get the lights or the music or the instruments or, or this particular style, which none of it's wrong, all of it's helpful, all of them are tools and they are resources and they are good, but nothing compares or comes close to prayer. And yet I confess to you that though we have tasted and there's been seasons and moments and times of prayer in our church under my leadership for 29 years, it just continues to seem to, to fall off the table. And, and I confess, and if not just, I don't think it's just me, I think as I've talked to other pastors, it is the single most challenging thing to keep on the forefront of a church. You call a prayer meeting and you never will get a really good crowd. And I'm not sure why, but I do know this. When revival comes, people show up to prayer meetings. They want to come. I I, I don't think I've ever called a prayer meeting in the last 15 years where we've had more than 10, 20, 30 people come. But I remember back when, about 16 years ago, we had a season where prayer became somewhat of the subject. And we started a prayer team. And the culture of prayer swept through our church. We would have well over 100 on Saturday nights at a prayer meeting. This was before we, uh, this was when we were trying to buy these buildings. And there was no way a little old church with a $5,000 a week budget could buy a $10 million campus. We knew we couldn't. We knew it would be only God. I mean, there was no way. We were barely paying the light bill on a 5,000 square foot building, much less the electricity on a 100,000 square feet of facility. And so the only place we had to go was prayer. So we started these prayer chains and prayer rooms and prayer altars and prayer meetings and prayer groups. And I mean, everything about the church, it was like there was not a night of the week you couldn't find somewhere to pray and somebody to pray with. It was powerful. Through that year of prayer and through the prayer team, the buildings were purchased. I mean, the college was started. The school exploded. One year we baptized over 500. And again, I know we've, there's, there's things we've changed and there's things we've done, but I never, I never try to curse my past. I look for how God worked and moved. And though I would, have, I would do some things different now, I do believe God was working in a mighty powerful way back then. We're here today in many ways because of what God has done in our lives to get us here. Amen? And so I've seen God work, but I know it was through prayer. And I, I don't know where it went. I guess we just got busy again. And then and, and the schedule filled up with other things and, and, and the games and the activities. And, the, and I get it. And, 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 and I, I look at myself and say, Eric, it was under your leadership that this happened. So I take full responsibility. That's why there is nothing I'm going to say this morning that I'm not saying to myself times 10. 
And I want to be accountable to you as I say these things. And so here we are. The prophet Daniel prayed in a time of national crisis. And God heard his prayer. Listen to this. In Daniel chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, a prayer for revival. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, the descent of Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the numbers of years that according to the word of the Lord, to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Now, here's the key verse. Here's where I really want you to focus in. He said, then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God. I made confession. I said, oh Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We've sinned. We've done wrong. We've acted wickedly and rebelled. We've turned aside from your commandments and rules. We've not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us, open shame. As at this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those that who are near and those who are far away, and all the lands to which you've driven them because of the treachery that they've committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame. To our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we've sinned against you. Daniel had been reading the prophet Jeremiah and the prophet Jeremiah had told him that God was going to bring the Babylonians against his people, but God would have a plan. And I'm so thankful that God always has a plan to bring them back to the land and God would restore them. And and, and we learned some things from that. We learned some very important things that even apply to us today. Because we live in dark times. We live in a time of national crisis. We live in a time of of, of, of great sexual immorality and and, and a great departing from the faith. And and, and, and even just the beginnings of what we might even call persecution against those who have faith in Christ. We learn that God is going to bring judgment against sin. We learn God has a plan and that sometimes it takes a while to work out that plan. But we also learn that sometimes it seems that God... Let's evil succeed, but it's always just temporary. That God has a plan to restore his people. And I believe that God is calling gospelite to serious prayer about these things. Because only believing, repenting prayer can hold back judgment and sin and release the cleansing power of the Lord Jesus Christ upon our personal lives, upon our church, our city, our state, our nation So we're calling our church to pray. And this year of prayer is going to be different. And I say that with fear and trepidation. I really do. What what kind of different, Pastor? I'm not sure, but I I do know that that I'm ready for something. I, I know that you're ready. I know that God is made us ready and preparing us for not just ordinary prayer, but extraordinary prayer. And so 2022 is going to be The year of prayer. And I want to introduce that year of prayer by giving you four principles we learned from this prayer of Daniel as we think about revival over the next few weeks. Number one, I want you to see that Daniel prayed with serious concentration. Now, I say that because I think we are a people who are very distracted today for a number of reasons. Television is distracting us. News distracts us. COVID has distracted us. 
Social media has distracted us. There's so many things that have caused our attention span to be so short that it is difficult to, in fact, we're even told uh, as pastors, whereas we used to, and I know we still, you know, we're prone to go 40, 45 minutes here in a message. But honestly, uh, you know, most of the churches I go to say, listen, 25, 30 minutes and our people are tuning you out. And it's probably true, I, I guess. I, I, they would say that from experience that maybe you're tuning me out at 25 to 30 minutes. I don't think you are. But, but I do know that this is something that is actually taught in, in, our, in our preaching classes and books will teach this. That listen, this is just where we're at. It's hard for people to concentrate anymore in church or in prayer or in worship for more than 25 or 30 minutes. And yet here we are talking about the importance of prayer and the need for us to do it with serious concentration. Look at Daniel 9, 3, and don't let something slip by. Notice it. Daniel said, I turned my face to the Lord. Have you ever turned your face to the Lord? Think about that. Have you ever desperately sought the Lord? I mean, desperately sought him with faith and fervency. Remember that, if you have. Remember that. When's the last time that happened? Because I think too many of us, and let me, let me, let me say that in a very a broader way. May nobody take this in, in a way of, of, of it being personal more than it is to me. Are we playing church? Because it seems as if maybe that's what's happened we're just kind of going through the motions and church has become a time where we 9 or 10.45 and, uh, and that's our only corporate service anymore. So it's, it's easy just to kind of look at that as, hey, a clock in, clock out. You know, I've, I've, I've got, my, I got my worship on this week. I, I heard my message this week and, and now I've got seven days until I clock in again to the church services and, 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 and spend time with God's people in that way. And, and, and it would be easy, just very easy for the culture of church to become sort of just like a game. But notice again in verse 3, he turned his face to the Lord, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy, last two words, with fasting. Serious concentration. Fasting produces some things in our prayer life. Jesus said in Matthew chapter number six in verse number five, he said this, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For, for they stand and they pray in the synagogues. They used to stand on the street corners. They'd have their robes on and they'd want to be seen of men. They, they, they'd want to, uh, more like an ex- exhibition, you know. Look at how I pray and look at how eloquent my prayers are. And this is how they would do it. In the, in the time that Jesus lived, the Pharisees would pray that way. But when you pray, he said, I want you to go into your room And I want you to shut the door, pray to your father who is in secret, because your father who's in secret is going to reward you. And then he said later on down to the same message, Matthew chapter 6, verse 16, he said, but when you fast, I don't want you to look gloomy like the hypocrites. They disfigure their faces, woe is me, poor me, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you fast, just like he said, when you pray, when you fast, I want you to anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret shall reward you. What's interesting about those passages is that Jesus assumed that we would do it. 
He assumed that we would pray. But, but when you pray, I mean, I know you pray. When you do it, do it like this. When you fast, I mean, obviously, he assumed we would. So what does that look like if, if he assumed we would? For me, I, I don't know exactly how it would look. I, I must admit, I'm no expert on fasting. I, I, I've met people, very few, that have fasted 40 days. And I, I meet some that fast regularly. And I've had seasons where I fasted once a week or, or uh, you know, for a few days. But I, I, I don't know that I've ever been real consistent in it. But I know that Jesus assumes that we would fast. He assumes that, the, that we would pray. And yet I'm wondering, really, how much do we know about that? I think the modern church knows very little about fasting. Leonard Ravenhill said this about the church, that we've gone from the upper room with its fire to the supper room with its smoke. So what do we know about fasting? Well, simply put, fasting is going without food and or other pleasures for a spiritual purpose. Again, just simply put, it's going without food, not just without food, definitely not for the purpose of losing weight or or, or some sort of diet we found on Instagram or social media, some some sort of intermediate fasting that helps us to have more energy. Those things may come, and and those those motives may be uh, appropriate for certain goals, but at the same time, we're not talking about that. that. That's not what fasting is. Fasting is going without food and or other pleasures for a spiritual purpose. The Bible talks about watching and fasting and praying and fasting and worshiping and fasting. And so we are calling our church to participate in a 21-day prayer and fasting time with our Southern Baptist community in the state of Arkansas. In just about five minutes, I'll go into a little more detail because I want to make sure everybody understands that it's a a wonderful gift that God's given us through uh, the Arkansas Baptist. And and we want to participate in that. And I feel as if all of us can and should. And I think you'll see just how, how wonderful they've set it up in just a moment. We're fasting not to brag, right? We're fasting not to be seen of men, not to get favor from God, not as a ritual, why are we fasting? What, are, what is our motive for fasting? Well, Zechariah chapter number 7 verse 5 says this. Say to all the people of the land and the priest that when you fasted and you mourned in the fifth month, in the seventh for these 70 years, here's the question. Was it for me, the Lord said, was it for me that you fasted? What, what, what's your motive for fasting? Let's get our motive right. So, so what will fasting do? Let me give you six things fasting might do for us today. Number one, fasting would strengthen our prayer life. It would strengthen it. Look at Joel chapter 2 on the screen, verse number 12. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me. Awaken your people. Awaken this city. Return to me with all your heart. With fasting, with weeping, with mourning, return to me with all your heart. That's what fasting is. Fasting is when you put all your heart into it. Jeremiah 29, 13, you seek me and and you, you find me when? When you do it with all your heart. That's what fasting does. It strengthens our prayer life. When we fast, we give heaven notice that we mean business. 
Fasting brings our faith, our spiritual lives into focus. Fasting will strengthen our prayer life. Secondly, fasting subdues our flesh, self. We are so often, or I am so often, slave to my flesh. Boy, it's sure hard to push away sometimes from the supper table, from certain things that I enjoy, pleasures that I enjoy. I mean, fasting would definitely interfere with someone's energy, maybe even their ability to work out like they could. I've even had some tell me that, man, I lost, I fasted and lost 25, 30 pounds on my, on my lift, you know. And, and we, we, I mean, fasting does affect some of those things. And it's hard sometimes to, to walk away from some of the things that we enjoy doing. But oftentimes in the Bible, we find that God says that pride oftentimes is associated and connected to to excess of food. In Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse number 19 or 49, he said, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters, they had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease. Pride and excess of food. I mean, it is very hard to say no to the flesh. It just is. It's difficult sometimes to discipline ourselves to, to do something like this. So it's just easier to say, you know what, I, I, I'll pray, but I, I, I'm just not sure about this fasting thing because it's so hard to say no. But fasting, it subdues self. And then thirdly, fasting will withhold the judgment of God. Jonah chapter 3, you know, sometimes the wrath of God and, and the righteous judgment of God is coming against a nation. It's just the way it is. And I sense that it's coming against our nation. But if my people, notice here, the people of Nineveh, they believed God, so they called, do you see it, a fast. It's amazing how often fasting is mentioned in Scripture. They called a fast, they put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least. You see, God had told Jonah that he was going to, to, to destroy Nineveh. Jonah just wouldn't go. He wouldn't go preach. And so Jonah had a little meeting with a whale. Remember that story? And that kind of changed everything for Jonah. He got spit up on the shore and he was ready to preach then. And he went out and he preached and the entire city got saved. An amazing story, just an incredible time. And Jonah chapter 3 and verse 10, when God saw what they did, he turned from uh, how they turned from their evil way. God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Why? When they fasted. They fasted. They prayed. It withheld the judgment of God. Yes, God is a God of righteousness, and God is a God of judgment, and God is a God of justice, but the heart of God would rather show mercy than judgment. That's encouraging. That's, that's, that's the character of our God. This is who he is. Yes, America is ripe for judgment. Yes, it is. But we need to pray and fast. Fasting stops the enemies of God. We read of an old king in the Old Testament named Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat had some ungodly enemies that were coming up against him. And he was filled with fear in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, beginning in verse 3. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid. And he set his face to seek the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast. Here it is again. He understood the need of the hour. This was, a, this was something only God could do. 
So he proclaims a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. I love this. All the cities of Judah came to seek the Lord. Which I believe probably meant they fasted as well. Did it do any good? I wonder what happened. Look at verse 29 of the same chapter. And the fear of God came on all the kingdoms of the countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. In church, we too are fighting a battle. And we have an enemy. And it's not flesh and blood. It's not each other. It's not the Democrats. It's not the Republicans. It's not the drug dealers. It's not the finger pointing that we like to do sometimes. No, it's principalities and powers. It's a cosmic battle that's going on and it's real. But fasting and prayer can, can break through the darkness. It can send revival. Fasting seeks guidance. You know, seeking God's will is something that all of us are concerned about. And I, I know that because I, I talk to young people oftentimes that just say, I just... I just want to know what God wants me to do with my life. What degree should I take? What area should, should I go in? Sometimes even in talking to couples about their marriage, what's God's will for my marriage? And what's God's will for my ministry or for my life? Look at Acts chapter 13 on the screen, beginning in verse number two. While they were worshiping the, the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, while they were worshiping, while they were fasting, the Holy Spirit spoke up and said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I've called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. I love that. We see here the great missionary movement of the early church began with prayer and fasting. Because fasting seeks guidance. They believed that God could do what they could not do. They knew that only God could do it. And so they fasted. They prayed. They sought the Lord. And the Holy Spirit said, send out that person. And You know, I, I was thinking about sometimes in the services when we'll have an appeal to go to the mission field. Or would we be willing for our children to go or that God would maybe move in our church to where there would be a culture of going and not just, you know, staying. And I believe that's going to be because of prayer and fasting. I think that's something that sounds really good and we feel the emotion of it in the moment. But, but if we seek the Lord by prayer and fasting, could it be that God could send out from this church right here in the center of Arkansas dozens of missionaries around the world? I mean, a missionary movement could start again as a result of prayer and fasting and seeking the face of God. And then finally, we sang about this a moment ago too, the, the strongholds that seem to, 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 to just hold us back from reaching our potential. Fasting shatters those. People have strongholds in their lives, fear and bitterness and resentment and habits, and fasting can, can demolish those strongholds, and, and, and fasting can... can, can Set back the enemy that's been putting those strongholds in our lives for way too long. Thinking about Isaiah chapter 58 verse 6. Is not this the fast that I choose? Here's why. I choose this fast to loose the bonds of wickedness. To undo the straps of the yoke. To let the oppressed go free. And to break every yoke. How many of you would like to see some of the strongholds that have bound you for so long to, to be set free from those? Oh, listen, fasting and prayer is the call of the hour. That's what it's needed. 
And until then, I'm not sure we'll see some of those strongholds shatter. And so we enter into this fasting for 21 days to this prayer. What does it look like? What has Arkansas set up? What, what kind of program is this? Well, I want you to see it on the screen. It's 21 days of fasting and prayer. And as we walk through this quickly, you go to the website. And, and when you go to the website, it's going to talk to you about these 21 days. And it's going to lay it out for you that there's 21 videos and there's seven different subjects. And each subject has been uh, three different pastors from around the state, 21 pastors in all, have been given the task of giving a devotion on that particular subject of revival and prayer. Most of it's from the book of Acts. So what happens is this. It's about a three and a half minute video. So tomorrow morning, if you would take this challenge with us and enter into some prayer and fasting with us for 21 days as a church family, as we start the year of prayer, how convenient, how beautiful is this? You'd go to the website. You'd listen to the video. It's about a minute long. After the video, you're going to be challenged to pray for about two minutes. And you know, I would say this, even though, even though we're talking about serious concentration, what if we just started with two minutes of serious concentration? You say, Pastor, two minutes, that's not long enough. It's a start. Amen? Can you imagine if everybody in this church tomorrow morning prayed two minutes together over some of the same requests that we're going to be given from the state of Arkansas about revival and prayer? That'd be exciting. And if you're thinking three or four or five minutes, praise God. I'm just talking about that one who's kind of worried about even two. We can do two together. You can pray three or five or 10 or 30. But I know how our schedules are, and they do too. And so as you walk through these videos, one a day, one every morning, or one every night before you go to bed, a different pastor. And I think it's cool that these are pastors from small churches, medium-sized churches. There's a couple of larger churches that do these. And these pastors are just so transparent. They're just, it's really engaging. I loved, I listened to several of them just because I wanted to see what it would be like for you. I think you're going to love it. And then when it comes to the fasting part, let me encourage you to pray about it. The Bible doesn't really give us any rules for fasting. It's not real specific about, okay, this is how you fast. There's not a whole lot of rules about fasting. So obviously, pray about it. I'm not asking you to fast from food and only drink water for 21 days. But it might, if you pray about it, it might be that God wants you to fast for one day or one day a week for the next three weeks. Or maybe to fast for 21 days from a particular thing that you really enjoy, a pleasure you enjoy, or something that uh, you could devote the time you give to it to prayer. You could fast from a particular drink or a, or a, or a food or a, or a meal or, or maybe a day or a two or three, whatever. But be very careful if you're on medication. Be careful if you are pregnant. Be careful. These are things we are. We know about it. We're concerned about it. We don't want anybody to jump into this without praying about it first and even seeking some advice or counsel from an elder or a staff member or a small group leader. But we are to pray and fast with serious concentration. Daniel said, I set my face. Number two, we are to pray with steadfast confidence. Daniel's prayer is saturated with confidence to an almighty God. Notice, and I'll just quickly go through this, and my sermon is really almost over, even though it has three points left. Trust me, it's almost over. Your attention span has been amazing so far, though. You have defied the logic of these new age uh, professors here. All right, thank you. Let me race through a few of these. Look at verse 4. Daniel, look at the, con- look at the uh, confidence he has here. 
I prayed to the Lord my God. I made confession. I said, oh Lord, the great and awesome God. I love that. I see the excitement, the energy, the confidence. Who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Look at verse 7. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness. Oh, do you see the excitement there as he continues to pray there in verse number 7. Look at, uh, let me see here. Verse number 9. To the Lord, our God, belongs mercy and forgiveness. Isn't that amazing? Isn't, isn't that wonderful? That God doesn't hold a grudge. He is willing to forgive. He wants to forgive us. Daniel 9, 14, for the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done. Hey, here's the bottom line. We serve, and we don't need to forget this, we serve a great and mighty God. The song we sang a moment ago, he can do it. Yes, he can. <laughs> uh, what's the next line? He can do it. Our God can. No one else can save us, redeem us, create a new life in us. Only Jesus can. Man, I'm feeling good about this. This is the God I serve. No wonder we can get excited in church. You know, we can get inspired in church. Why? Because we serve a mighty God. I've always felt this way. The songs are different and they're better. But we used to sing that song, what a mighty God we serve. Back then I thought that was the greatest song ever. I kind of like Yes He Can a little better now. Hey, it's a newer song. It's got more energy. But I believed it then and I believe it now. That we serve a great and mighty God who wants to do great things. And Daniel talks about God's greatness. Daniel talks about God's power, God's righteousness, God's mercy. He's confident. Number three, we are to pray with sincere confession. You know, this morning when we prayed that confessional prayer, man, it was a moment of sincerity for me. I mean, I don't know about you, and I'm sure that you felt this. I, I, I would guess you did. Whenever we pray together as a church like that and pray those words that have been crafted for the very moment that we're in, I always seem to get a lump in my throat and tears begin to well up in my eyes as I pray that. And sometimes I have to stop. I, I don't know. I bet that's the way you feel sometimes too. It just seems like there's something about this public confession that we do together that creates a sincerity in our hearts that we desperately need. And this is how Daniel prayed. And for sake of time, I'm not going to take time to read it, but I encourage you to read all the way through at some point. Uh, I'll tell you, I I read it through several different translations. The the, the New Living Translation is what I read this morning because I had a little more time. But I read it through the message, uh, uh, just, and that's not a translation. It's just a, a good read for those who want to hear the, uh, more of a modern uh, translation of just the words. And it, it, it's like a conversation. But read Daniel 9, 3 through 14, and read it in a way that you can see and sense the, the sincerity of Daniel's prayer. Daniel was sincere. He confessed personal and national sin. Aren't you glad you can confess your personal sin and God can forgive you on the spot? First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from what? All unrighteousness. Now, I can't, I can't get forgiveness for our nation, but I can pray that God would forgive. Jesus prayed that as he died on the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And we can seek forgiveness on behalf of our nation. David didn't finger point in that prayer. He just personally confessed. He confessed the sin of his nation. And you know, America has some sins that we need to confess. Pride and materialism. 
neglect of the poor and needy, racism, sexual immorality, merciless killing of the unborn. We need to pray with sincere confession the sins of our nation. And then he prayed with serious concentration. He prayed with steadfast confidence. He prayed with sincere confession. And finally, and in closing, he prayed with spiritual concern. And you know, this is something that I think we really need to focus on as we close and consider what God would have us to do. Why would we pray? What are we concerned about? I've had some say to me they're really, really, really worried about the finances. I mean, the stock market. And man, preacher, I tell you what, we just need to wait. Hopefully, pastor, we can make it until 2024. That's our only hope. I mean, the economy is going down. Well, it the stock market hit rock bottom and a revival came. Are you, are you okay with that? I mean, if that's what it takes, are, are we more concerned about revival or are we more concerned with our 401k? I'm not saying we shouldn't be concerned with our finances. I love what Jeff said. We, we, he, he's so thankful. He, he, he takes very serious the stewardship of our finances here. But I'm going to tell you, he and I both know it's not him. It's, it's nothing. It's God that has brought us through this year. It's just the hand of God. We, we are not a church of wealthy people. We're not a church of, of, of folks that can just kind of bail us out. This is not where we're at. We are watching God work in a miraculous way as only he can. And our concern is not for bigger buildings. You know, I used to think that's what we needed, just better lights, better music, better instruments. That's the key. And that's, that's good. And those things are nice. But at the end of the day, our concern should be for the glory of God. That's, 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 the, first, that's the first concern we should have as to why we would want God to come and move and rend the heavens and pour out his spirit that he might be glorified that his son might be lifted up and worshiped like he deserves because every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess eventually they'll have to but why not now why not here daniel chapter 9 verse 17 i love this it's an amazing passage as we close today notice it with me on the screen. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make, my, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes. See our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act delay not for your own sake not 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 for my family's sake not for my church's sake not for my business sake but god for your glory for your sake let's pray for the glory of god it's prayer time at gospel light and i'm just going to ask you to be praying for me and for us and and, and for your small group and, and, and just pray that God would begin to lead us and move and work in ways that would be so supernatural and not ordinary but extraordinary because remember one more time one more time Daniel 9 3 then I turn my face to seek the Lord seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes gospel light 
2022 is the year of prayer. May we seek the face of God like we never have before and ask God to move beginning right here on the corner of Garland and Forth and then spreading across our city as churches continue to work together. And who knows, maybe this year would be a good time to have another prayer gathering at the convention center. Who knows? Maybe, maybe God will do it again like that. Let's just pray for God to work. Let's bow for prayer, shall we? And if you've never been born again, you've never repented of your sins, you don't know of the release and the joy and the cleansing power of the saving blood of Jesus Christ, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, repented of your sins, come to faith in Christ, I encourage you today to do that. I encourage you with all of my heart, mind, body, and soul, don't leave this building lost. Trust Christ. Be saved today. Say, Pastor, how how do I do that? You can do it right now. You can do it right where you're seated. And instantaneously, immediately, you can become a child of God and spend an eternity with Jesus. You can do that right now. If you want someone to talk with you about that or pray with you about that, we'll be here. We'll be waiting. We'll be at the altar or after the service. Don't delay. Don't delay. Be safe today. And then if you need to respond in any way, you know, one of the things I think would be awesome if God did it again was the altar calls, you know. It just used to be that I think it was just something that we were more comfortable with, just coming down and praying and praying with a pastor, praying with a friend, praying with a spouse, just praying. And I'm asking God to rekindle that fire again to respond in prayer in some way or another right here in the midst of our congregation as this year goes on and we continue to grow in this thing together. Father, I love you. I thank you for this service. I thank you for what you're doing. I pray in advance for Scott and for Jeremy and for Mo as we continue to walk through this time of prayer, praying for revival. God, speak to our hearts individually move in our hearts and then corporately God bring us closer together in this matter of prayer and may tomorrow morning or even this evening be the beginning of 21 days of prayer and fasting here in the state of Arkansas with our sister churches 1500 of them all around the state wow may we all pray that God would move the state of Arkansas to greater greater heights to give you more glory And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Shall we stand again?